You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. We're so glad you're getting caught up on the message. Before we get started, we want to let you know that Summer Life Group signups are open. Head on over to wordoflifeag.org and click on Life Groups to get signed up. All right, let's dive into the message. This week, Pastor Megan brought us a message titled, Created to Do Good Works. Let's check it out. Good morning. Hope we're all doing well today. I'm so excited about our groups coming up. They start next week because next Sunday is our kickoff to our new series of I Am. Um, We're very excited about the series. I think it's going to be really good, and it's going to be a great chance for us just to kind of get together and gather around and talk about the message series a little bit more in depth. And um, I can't wait to hear what comes out of it. I'm leading a couple of groups as well for it, so I'm excited just to hear kind of just um, what God is doing um, through the sermon series. So if you have not signed up already, I highly encourage you to jump on there. Um, Go ahead, head online and sign up for a group today. We have a group for you. So tomorrow is 4th of July. Is And Independence Day. Are we excited for it? Do we have our fireworks? Do we have our barbecue food? I expected more enthusiasm. I mean, I, although I will say that around my neighborhood, they've been setting off fireworks all week long. So maybe that's some of you in this room have been setting them off all week. So maybe it's kind of just um, old by now. I don't know. But um, tomorrow is 4th of July. And because um, it is a holiday, as a church, we observe the holiday. So we have tomorrow off, which is exciting. However, I do wonder if Tom should have to work since he is not American. Um, But, however, he did actually just become a citizen a couple of months ago. So this is his first 4th of July as a U.S. citizen. So we're really excited about that. Well, today we're going to go ahead and get started, but at, towards the end of the service, we're going to actually be taking communion together, so make sure you stick around for that, okay? I have um, a bit of an interactive illustration for you, so I hope you guys are prepared for it. So if you're online, I'm going to go ahead and let you know now that you can go ahead and type your answer into the computer as well, but if you're in person, you can yell it out when you get it. So I'm going to read something, and when you know what it is, if you could yell it out, that would be great. So, in the light of the moon, a little egg lay on a leaf. One Sunday morning, the warm sun came up and pop. Out of the egg came a tiny and very hungry caterpillar. Well done. Yes, so that story, the very hungry caterpillar, is my oldest son Elijah's favorite book. And it has been his favorite book since he was a little, like probably three or four years old. And it is the story that we read before bed every single night, even though he is 10 years old, will be 11 in the fall. He loves that book. And we have read it so much by now that I can recite the whole book for you. I won't do that today. Just trust that I can. So um, it is his very favorite book. In fact, he has several books of The Very Hungry Caterpillar. He has a very small one for when we travel. 
that he can take with him. He's got a big one that he got to color himself. And then he's got a couple of other bigger books just in case we lose one because it is his favorite book. But if you know the story of the very hungry caterpillar, you know that the caterpillar doesn't stay a caterpillar. What does the caterpillar become? A butterfly. Yes. So it becomes a butterfly. And we get to kind of follow along with the caterpillar as it transforms into this beautiful butterfly, right? So we know that it starts off on Monday, it eats one apple, Tuesday, two pears, Wednesday, three plums, Thursday, four strawberries, Friday, five oranges, and then Saturday, it has a whole entire smorgasbord of food. And then it makes itself a little cocoon, and then it hatches into this beautiful butterfly. But what if the caterpillar stayed a caterpillar? Would it be fulfilling its purpose? It wouldn't be fulfilling its purpose, right? Because its purpose is to become a butterfly. And if it was to stay a caterpillar, its purpose would not be fulfilled because it is not a butterfly, which it was always meant to be. And we can become like this sometimes as Christians. We can become Christians in our name only, but our actions do not reflect the transformation that God desires because he does require us to transform and we were created to do so. Transformation does not just happen at conversion. It doesn't just happen at salvation, right? Salvation is that first initial decision that we make to make Jesus the Lord of our life, the King of our life, and to follow him with everything. But there are many things to happen after salvation. For me, I remember when I made that decision, there were many things that immediately stood out to me about myself. There are many things, it was like a light bulb went on and suddenly I saw the world differently. However, there were other things I just didn't know needed to change until later. In fact, I needed to adjust how I talked um, I wasn't very kind with my words, but I needed to become more kind with my words. I needed to learn the value of generosity because I was selfish. But those things didn't change right away. Those were things that had to change over time. And there are still things today that I am still working on. Because transformation is going to take, take all of our life, Right? Transformation is ongoing and will be until the day we are fully transformed into in eternity. We understand this from the Bible, that there is nothing that we can do that would separate us from the love of God. We know that verse. And in another verse, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. However, because we know that God loves us and doesn't want us to stay the same, we must allow the Holy Spirit to challenge us so that we may grow to become more like Christ. See, no one starts as a finished product. We are not finished yet. Just like the caterpillar doesn't stay a butterfly, or doesn't stay a caterpillar, it becomes a butterfly. And... I didn't use my mouth to build up others or understand the importance of generosity when I was first saved. We are hopefully not the same 
as we were five years ago or even a year ago. Hopefully we have seen a transformation not only in who we are, but the way that it's outworked. So not just in who we are, but how it looks on the outside. Jesus shares a story about this in Matthew 21. So we're going to go ahead and read from there. He says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and he said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. See, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees here. And he's talking about two different sons. He's talking about the first son who refuses to work but then changes his mind. Then the second son who says he will work but doesn't follow through. And Jesus knows the Pharisees are going to give the right answer. Because the Pharisees always have the right answer. So they give the right answer not realizing that Jesus is comparing them to the second son. Who says that they think the father wants to, says what they think the father wants to hear but doesn't follow through in action. And, but Jesus is comparing the first son to the prostitutes and the tax collectors and highlights their transformation. See, what is celebrated here is not what we say, but what we do. Amen. We can say a lot of things. And we can maybe even mean them in our heart. But if we don't follow through, it doesn't mean much. So it is not, we don't celebrate what we say, but what we do. God wants to see us transformed in deeds, not our words alone. You know, I can think of this parable, and I can think of my three kids. I have three kids. I've got a 10-year-old and twin 8-year-olds. And um, one of them, I won't disclose which one it is. If I ask them to do something around the house, they will always say no. They will always refuse and stomp their feet and say no. And then I have another one that will say yes, but then will become easily distracted and forget and not follow through. But I'll tell you what, when my other child goes and does something after saying no, I celebrate that because they did what they, were, they should do, even though they initially said they wouldn't. There was a change of heart that happened, right? We celebrate that because our starting blocks should not be our finish line. It shouldn't be. Where we start off shouldn't be where we finish. In Ephesians 2, it says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, salvation is not something we can earn or brag about. Right? It's not something we can earn or brag about. 
Salvation is our initial decision to follow Jesus, but we have done nothing, nothing to earn salvation. When we make a decision to follow Jesus, we can be certain that our salvation is secure, and it does not require works because our salvation is secure. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. It is freely given, but costs so much. Because we are God's handiwork. We are the work of our creator. We can't take credit for it because we are his handiwork. When looking at the scriptures leading up to this verse in Ephesians, we see that we were once spiritually dead, but because of Jesus, we are now spiritually alive because we are his handiwork. However, we prove our faith by our works. So we prove our faith by our works. Our words, our actions, our deeds, and works all show that we are alive in our faith, that we are growing, that we are transforming. That's how the world around us can observe that God is at work in our lives, is by our good deeds. And as we understand what God has done for us, we can't help but to want to do good works, to join God in what he is doing, to show others a good father through our actions. However, we must understand that part of being God's handiwork is doing the good works that God has prepared for us, the good works that he has prepared. And good works, they attest to our salvation. The Greek word for good is agathos. It means inherently or intrinsically good as to the believer. Describes what originates from God and is empowered by him in the believer's life through faith. And then the Greek word for work is ergon. It is a deed or an action that carries out or completes an inner desire or intention or purpose. When you put this together, you get works that come from a heart transformation. Works are motivated by who we are. They aren't done out of obligation. It's a natural overflow and an effortless consequence. These are things that are an overflow of who we are. They aren't because they're an obligation, not something that we think we should do, but it's part of who we are because of a transformation that has taken place. So we just read from the book of Ephesians, and it's a letter written by Paul as an early church leader, and it's written to the church. The main, one of the main themes is that all things are created for, the, for unity in Christ, and that unity only comes from us living in God's purpose. And the church should be an example to the world of how we can come together in unity despite the things that might or could, could divide us. There are a lot of things that could divide us in this room. There are a lot of things that could divide us as the church globally. But unity is what brings us together. Ephesians has six chapters. The first half of Ephesians, which is chapters one through three, outline where we were prior to salvation and how we have gained salvation. We once were dead due to sin. Now we are alive due to God's grace and love through the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
the second half of Ephesians is Ephesians 4 through 6, and it's all about the good things we should be doing so that we can stay away from the things that drag us back to death. And some of the things that are covered in Ephesians are to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us, build up others, be compassionate and kind, to live purely, wives to be good to your husbands, husbands to be good to your wives, workers to work diligently, parents not to provoke your children, and children to obey your parents. See, what we can see in the book of Ephesians is the more you follow Jesus, the more you change. And the more you change, the more good works will flow from your life. The more you follow Jesus, the more you change. The more you change, the more good works will flow from your life. Because following Jesus requires action. When we resist the transformation that God is leading us to, we are actually following ourselves and not Jesus. And we all find ourselves in that spot. We all can find ourselves making decisions based on what we want rather than what God is trying to do in us. Without Christ, we are pulled to conform to the world. We elevate our own thoughts and opinions. We look to the world for answers instead of God. We find that we are easily swayed by the world. If the world is angry, we are angry. If the world is all about it, we are all about it. The world becomes our moral compass rather than God. Without Christ, we are doomed for death. But we are made alive in Christ through salvation. We experience his love and live confident in his love because it changes everything. In Romans 8, it says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we understand the love of the Father, the love that he has for us, how can we not want others to experience that type of love? And how can we not want to show the Father our love and gratitude through who we are and what we do? Because God's love is transformative. So here are a few things that I thought would be helpful. The first one is good works should be motivated by love. If believers can't treat each other with love, even though we have the same faith in Jesus, we will not be able to love those who don't share our faith well. In Ephesians 4, it says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Love is accompanied by humility, gentleness, and patience. Anyone in this room have all those down? Anyone online? I don't. We're all working on it, right? We must love those in the body of Christ well. In the next chapter, this is what it says. It says, follow God's example. 
I love that, God's example. And then it goes on to say, Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God's love is selfless and sacrificial. See, Jesus goes big on this idea, way bigger than any of us would be comfortable with. This is what he says in Luke. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them, the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. I find that this verse interesting because we always like to recite the do to others as you would have them to to you. And we rarely cite the verses that come before that. This includes those who don't like you, those who don't think the way you do, those who don't share the same values as you. We must still love them. Loving those who already love you or doing good to those who do good to you are all things that the world already does. What sets us apart is loving our enemies, giving without without expectations. And if somebody takes something from you, giving them more. Our love should be extravagant and nonsensical. It shouldn't make any sense. It should be outside of our comfort zone. And it should be contrary to how we feel. It says God is kind to those who are ungrateful and wicked. Therefore, we should be. And to show mercy as God shows mercy. This would have been shocking to those who were listening. It would be natural to want to take revenge. And yet God is calling us to love those who treat us unfairly. This is still shocking to us today and contrary to our human nature. Only through the ongoing, transforming power of God's love can this be made power, or can this be made possible. We have the greatest example in Jesus. In Romans 5, it says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. We all at one time were sinners, and yet he died for us.
He goes on to say a few verses later in verse 10, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We were once God's enemies. When Jesus is asking us to love our enemies, he's not asking us to do something he has not done himself. In fact, he loved us when we were his enemies. So much so that Jesus died for us. So next time you find it hard or you're tempted to not love your enemy, remember that we were loved by God when we were his enemies. So the first thing was God's work or God works should be motivated by good works should be motivated by love. The second one is godly transformation leads to good works. In Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, it says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Salvation does not mean that we have arrived. Our salvation is secure, but there is still work that needs to be done. We still have things that pop up from our sinful nature that need to be worked on. We have attitudes and thoughts that need adjusting, right? So if you're in here and you're thinking, oh, I have so much work to do, we all have so much work to do. We all have things that we are working on in our life. And I always think that God never shows us everything that needs to be worked on in our life or else it would be too much, right? It'd be too much to take on, but yet he's so gentle and kind with how he does that. So we just finished um, a baseball season. It was baseball season for um, my youngest son and then we're still actually in baseball season for our oldest son. Anybody else in here, little league? been doing the little league thing all year or oh, feels like all year yep a few of us but um so we kind of have baseball on the mind um it was it's actually been really fun this year and we have enjoyed it a lot but uh, one thing I know and I've seen a lot of just even in my eight-year-old son's little league is that when you hit the ball and you get to first base and that umpire says safe there is relief right? You step on that base and you're like, I made it. I made it to first base. And that first base is kind of like salvation. We've made it to first base, but we can't make it to second. We can't make it to third and we can't make it to home without another batter. We need Jesus to step up to the plate and hit us home. Now this illustration is not even close to being perfect because there's only three bases and home plate. And there are so many areas in our life that require transformation and it's an ongoing process. So we will be working at it till eternity. But this verse shows it wonderfully. In Colossians 3, it says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. 
In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Our intended design is found in God's restoration. And we see this in the beginning. When we go to Genesis. In Genesis it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. From the beginning we were created in the image of God. Created to share some of God's character and qualities. However, sin entered the picture and it messed it all up. Right? But God had a plan. He's always had a plan to restore his intended design for humanity. He's always had a plan. So we go back to Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were always meant to be created in God's image. Sin messed it up, but he had a restoration process in mind, and we're living that out. So we use a lot of different um, things to explain restoration now. We talk about restoring a building, restoring a car, restoring furniture, and many other things. With always in mind of it being restored back to its intended purpose. We are being restored back to our intended purpose. And why? Because we are created by God and for God. In Colossians 1, it says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. We were created not only by God, but for him. And we were created for his purposes. We will never be fulfilled unless we are living as God created and intended us to do. Because we were created by him and for him. Because we are God's design and we want to be living in the purpose he created for us, we have to embrace transformation. Or else we will never find fulfillment. Because our fulfillment is in our original design. How we were created by God and for him. Part of that is that transformation process. And as that transformation happens, we start to do the things that God had planned for us. And the things that he has in mind for us. See, the more you follow Jesus, the more you change. And the more you change, the more good works will flow from your life. 
If we embrace transformation and good works, we will be a better parent, a better spouse, a better sister, better brother, a better son, a better daughter, a better coworker, a better employee, a better neighbor, and a better friend. And we would make a greater difference. We'd be more generous, more helpful, more caring, more patient, more loving, and more compassionate. See, good works should be motivated by love. They should always be motivated by love. We can do good works that aren't motivated by love, that they're motivated out of duty and obligation or what we should do, but they should be motivated out of love. That godly transformation leads to good works. That as we start to transform, we start to see ourselves doing good things. And our intended design is found in God's restoration. That as we are being transformed, we find out more of who God created us to be. And we find that we are created by God and for Him. When we get that straight, we start to see transformation because we understand that if I continue to serve my own purpose and my own thoughts, I will only ever be unhappy and unfulfilled. If I try to serve the world, I will be unhappy and unfulfilled. But if I serve Jesus, and if I look to Him for who I should be, and the things that I should do, I will find fulfillment in that. I will find fulfillment in God working on me. And that's all understood by how much we know the Father loves us. When we understand how much God loves us, then we want to transform. We want to become more of who God created us to be. So maybe you're in here today and maybe you know that God created you, but maybe this is the first time you've heard that you were created for him. Maybe you found yourself in a place where you've been searching everywhere else, trying to find who you are in the world, looking to the world for answers, and it hasn't led to fulfillment. Well, I wanna encourage you today that we're gonna here in a second, ask everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. And when we do that, I'm gonna ask you to put your hand up. If that is a decision that you wanna make today, if you're thinking to yourself that I'm tired of living life according to what I think is best or according to what, I th what the world is telling me to do, or if you're thinking, I don't feel fulfilled, that everything just feels empty. I wanna pray with you today. And like I said in the message, you haven't arrived just as you make that decision. That doesn't mean I've arrived, but it's the start of an ongoing process that we all are experiencing. So let's go ahead and close our eyes and bow our heads. 
If you're online with us, this is for you too. If you wanna make a decision today, if you've never made that decision to make Jesus Lord of your life, to make him king of your life, to follow him with everything, then I want to offer you the chance to raise your hand today and for us to pray that prayer together with you, to come alongside of you. So if that's you today, if you'd raise your hand while nobody's looking, I just wanna see who I'm praying for today. So I'm gonna start over here on my right. Yes, I see you. Anybody else that I can pray for? Working my way to the middle. Yes, I see you. Anybody else that I can pray for? I'm over on my left. Yep, I see you. Yes, I see you. I don't wanna miss anybody. I'm gonna go back across the room. I'm over on my left, making my way over to the center. Anybody I missed? You're worth waiting for. Yes, I see you. All right, church. Can we give a hand for those who just made a decision? <laughs> and if you're online and you made a decision, you can go ahead and click that I raised my hand button and somebody online will connect with you. If you are here in person and you made that decision, that's amazing. And we celebrate that decision. And the prayer team is gonna come down here in just a few minutes. And when they come down here, they would love to pray with you. They would love to um, give you a little book and just connect with you and celebrate with you as well. But it's the best decision that you could ever make. And yes, I can't promise that you immediately will feel fulfilled because it's this ongoing process but we're all doing it together and there's unity in that. Well, we're gonna go ahead at this time and we're gonna partake in communion. So if you have your element with you, if you didn't get your element, the ushers are in the back and they can, if you raise your hand, they can come and bring one to you. Yeah, we've got a couple of people down front that don't have one. If you're online with us, you can grab something you can take with us as well. We would love to have you join us. So we were just talking about God's love. We were talking about how God's love is sacrificial and that we can see his love because he died for us while we were sinners, that he made a way for us. And as part of communion, that's what we do. We reflect on what Jesus has done for us and what that means for us. So we're gonna go ahead and jump into 1 Corinthians. It says, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
peel back that clear label and take your wafer out. Jesus' body was broken for us. And so we take this in remembrance of what he has done. So go ahead and let's take that together. And now we can peel back that second layer on our juice. And then it says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we do this in remembrance of the covenant between us and God. So let's go ahead and take the juice together. God, we just take this time to pause and to reflect. And as we allow the worship team to just go back into a little bit of worship, we take this time to reflect on what you have done for us and the price that you paid for us and the gratitude that we owe you and the honor that we owe you. God, you are so good to us. We could never have earned our salvation, yet you made a way. And you are restoring us back to who you created us to be, to your image. And we owe you everything. And we want to follow you with everything. In Jesus' name, amen.